Well, the title Christ comes from the Greek word Christos, which means the anointed one of God, the Messiah that God chose to deliver his people. Now, we began a new series last week, and we got the, the question was, what would it be like to have met Jesus as he began or as he was a part of his ministry? What, it would, what would it be like to roll up to Emmanuel, which means God with us, God in the flesh? What would it be like to, to, to see Jesus and, and to see him heal people and see all the people gasp and awe and or see what, or just to walk up to somebody after he had healed them, or walk up and talk to somebody after they'd spent about 15 minutes with Jesus and had a conversation with him. You could, you could just walk up and say, hey, what was that like? Tell me what it was like to spend time with Jesus. Tell me what it was like when you were healed. This series, Once I Met Jesus, is, is what we're doing is we're going to take a look at the life and ministry of Jesus through the eyes of the people who encountered him. That, that we're going we're gonna to meet people who have met Jesus, people who had brief moments or what I call Jesus encounters that the Bible records. The idea is that as we get to know the people that met with Jesus, we have a greater understanding of the Savior that we have. And then we, we understand a little bit more why it's important not only to give him our lives, but also to follow him and to be his disciple. Once I met Jesus, and once I met Jesus, I was never the same. Let's begin with prayer today. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we have to be in the presence of your body in this service. I pray, Father, that you would touch the lives of people, minister to people by your word, through your spirit, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, I want you to look at the neighbor, sit next to you and say, have you met Jesus? Look at your second choice, your other neighbor, and say, have you met Jesus? Today, we're going, to, we're going to take a look at the life of someone who talked at length with Jesus. This is one of the most interesting conversations between Jesus and another person. It's a very u- unique story because it was actually a one-on-one private conversation between Jesus and a Jewish relig- religious leader. So it's, it's a two-fold thing. It's a two-fold story. Actually, every person that we're going to look at their lives and their conversation with Jesus, there's always a two-fold story or a two-fold learning process. First of all, we're going to learn a little bit about the person that Jesus was talking to or the person that Jesus healed or the person that Jesus encountered. But it also gives us insight to who Jesus was, who our Savior is. So we're going to get to know a person and we're going to get to know Jesus a little bit more through this interaction. This story is in John, the second chapter. It actually starts out in John, second chapter in the 13th verse. And we're going to go into John, the third chapter. John 2 and 13 says, it was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration, so Jesus went to Jerusalem. Now, why did Jesus go to the Passover celebration in Jerusalem? Because he was Hebrew. He was a Jew. So we talked about the Passover celebration. You guys remember all the conversations we've had about the Passover celebration. It was the, the celebration of Israel being delivered from Egyptian slavery. It was a Passover celebration. By the way, that celebration still happens today. So in the temple area... He saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, doves for sacrifices. Why do they need sacrifice? Because sacrifice is a way of Old Testament worship. Jesus had not died yet, so it was still a way of old sacrifice worship or Old Testament worship, sacrificing animals. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. Jesus made a whip. What? This is is what I'll, if you read the Bible, you see a side of Jesus that nobody talks about. 
You see a passionate side of Jesus. You see an angry side of Jesus sometimes. Jesus sat down and made a whip. What he saw in the temple so upset him that he sat down and made, took the time, put some materials together, wrapped it up on a wooden handle, and made a whip from some ropes and chased them out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and the cattle, scattered the money changers' coins over the floor, turned over the tables. Now, you have to consider that this was, that this was a, a, the largest celebration in all of Jerusalem. The Passover was the biggest thing. So this would be like going to the, the, the fairgrounds, if you will, during the state fair and, and you know, all of these things, and just turning over tables, making a whip, driving everybody out. Then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. What was going on was that church worship had become about commerce. In other words, people were making money from church worship. Can you imagine somebody doing like that? Sounds a little familiar with what happens a lot of times today in churches. Not our church, but other bad churches, right? But the Jewish leaders demanded, what are you doing? If God gave you authority, that is always a word that the Jewish leaders bring up because Jesus was not the Messiah that they were necessarily looking for. So there's always this word authority. Who gave you the right? Who has given you the authority to go in and do all this and disrupt all this? You're not one of us. He says, well, if God gave you authority to do this, then show us a miraculous sign to prove it. Prove yourself, Christ, if you are the Christ. All right, Jesus replied, destroy this temple in three days and I'll raise it up. In other words, he would not give them a sign. He told them, if you were to, they, thought he, they, were, they thought he was talking about the physical temple. He was talking about his body. He was actually prophesying and saying, I'm going to raise up my body in three days. But really, he, would just, he, was, he was kind of ignoring what they were saying, and he made this statement. Now, there are a couple of things that we learn about Jesus right here. First of all, he was passionate about worship, and he was passionate about his house. Jesus was very, he was nonchalant when it came to what, what we would call now the church. He was, he, was not, he was not nonchalant. He was passionate about worship, and he was passionate about his house. He was passionate because people were being mistreated. They were being ripped off uh, uh, to, for sacrifices and those things. So he was passionate about the house. Another thing that we see is he would not give unbel the unbelieving a sign to appease their unbelief. If somebody walked up to Jesus and demanded a sign, Jesus could, could, could perform miracles at will. Remember, he walked on water. Remember, he, he, he uh, provided fish for people to eat. But he would never give people a sign to prove himself to them because of their unbelief. John 2 and 23, let's keep going. Because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, notice, we're continuing what we just read. He was performing miracles, and there were signs of his messiahship, but not for the Pharisees because of their unbelief. It says this, many began to trust in him, but Jesus didn't trust them because he knew all about people. No one needed to tell him about human nature. I think that this is very interesting that John, the beloved disciple, John puts this in there in his writing, that something about Jesus that, that people began to trust in him. But Jesus was very cautious about people. No one needed to tell him what was human nature, for he knew what was in a person's heart. But one Pharisee who is believed to have followed Jesus was Nicodemus. 
And we're going to talk about him. Nicodemus had witnessed the miracles and the signs of Jesus. He was probably there because this was the Jewish celebration of the Passover. Everybody who was anybody was there. The Pharisees, no doubt, were in the temple. So Nicodemus probably saw Jesus turn over these tables, run everybody out. And instead of running up there and asking for a sign and, and disbelieving or whatever, Jesus, uh, Nicodemus was a little bit different. I believe his heart was stirred. His mind was challenged. He sought answers to the things that he had seen. So he had this one-on-one conversation with Jesus, and it's recorded in John, the third chapter, John 3 and 1. It says, there was a man named Nicodemus. Everybody say Nicodemus. This, he was uh, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. Now, who were the Pharisees? The Pharisees get, bad, get a bad rap, don't they? Every time we think of Pharisees, we think of guys, you know, with the, with the turbans on. We think of the guys that crucified Jesus. Pharisees, you know, we always want to boo the Pharisees. But they didn't start out like that. They started out as ministers of the temple. But if you were a, a Jewish person and you were walking around Jerusalem in Jesus' day, you had two government or governing bodies. First of all, you had the Romans who were occupying your territory. They were there. They were unwelcome. Uh, I think about two or three hundred years before that, they came in and took over Jerusalem, and you were subject to them. They, they, you were under persecution of the Roman government. They could, you know, they could do whatever. But then beyond that, you had what was called the Sanhedrin, which was the governing body of your people. That was, they took care of civil law. They, care, they took care of ceremonial law. So you had, uh, it was kind of like a tribal mentality or a beyond or just below the Roman government, you had the Sanhedrin court. Uh, uh, it was made up of about 71 members. It was made up of Pharisees and Sadducees, two different groups that had a different belief about eternity. But the head of that council was the high priest. The Sanhedrin, uh, if, if you had a problem, if you, if, if you had a civil law issue, you went to this court first. They did not have the right to put you to death. If you killed somebody, that was the Roman government. But they took care of everything else. They were elitist. They were highly respected. And it was a highly political body. So here's the deal. Jesus did not spend time with the Pharisees. He walked right past them to people that needed him. He did not walk in to them and say, hey, hey listen, uh, I just want you to know that God is saying. He didn't say anything to them that they didn't hear in his teaching. He would say things like this when they would ask him why he would, he would hang out with, with tax collectors and sinners and people that were considered the riffraff of life. He would say things like, it is the sick that need a physician. And he would say things to them like, I'm not, I'm not going to prove myself to you because of your unbelief. But what made Nicodemus different? Because he was a Pharisee, and Jesus has one of the longest conversations recorded in Scripture with Nicodemus. So I got to thinking, what made Nicodemus different? What was so different about Nicodemus? So I believe, first of all, Nicodemus was, was different because Nicodemus was searching. He was searching for truth. He was searching for guidance. In John 3 and 2, it says, after dark one evening. Don't miss that. After dark one Why would he go see Jesus after dark? Because he was not just a Pharisee. He was a highly esteemed Pharisee and teacher of religious law. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know 
that God has sent you to teach us. Now, now he was a Pharisee, and he actually believed that Jesus was of God. He just didn't understand, so it led him to a place where he was searching. The other Pharisees didn't want to have anything to do with Jesus because they doubted the validity of his Messiahship. But we see that Nicodemus was at least searching. We all know that God has sent you to teach us your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. So he's paying attention to what Jesus is doing. The problem is that, is that Pharisees were actually witnessing some of the miracles of Jesus. But they were doubting and they were still asking for signs. What's going on? With, what's going on? Jesus would heal somebody on the Sabbath which you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath in any way. It was against Jewish law. Jesus would heal people on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees would say, you can't do that on the Sabbath because it's considered work. You can't pick up your mat and walk. They're missing the whole point. The man was paralyzed from birth. He picks up his mat and walks, and they completely miss that and say, you're not supposed to do that. Jesus would not tolerate unbelief from the religious leaders. He expected more of them because of their background and their teaching and their learning. What happened was because of their hard hearts, he recognized their hard hearts. Remember what we just read. Jesus knew what was inside of a person's heart. He knew what they were thinking in their spirit. And because, because that's what they were thinking, he would not tolerate any kind of, mostly no conversation with them. He would not tolerate them and, and, and giving them a sign. Nicodemus was seeking to know more of Jesus, and he had an open mind. It is, is it possible that God could be doing something different? Is it possible that, that I've been wrong about these things? Is it possible that I have, have misread the, the prophecies or what God was trying to do? Here's the deal. Jesus was always open to people who were willing to, who were willing to really seek him. He was always willing and he was always open to speak to people and spend time with people who were really willing to seek. Let me ask you this. Do you know anybody in your life that, that, that points at our faith, who points at Christ and rejects him because God won't prove himself? Remember that Jesus is always willing to reach out to somebody who is willing to really seek him. Matthew 7 and 7 says this. It says, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And everyone who knocks, the door will be open. In other words, if you want to know Jesus, seek him. Don't, don't start out with doubt. Seek God. So many people want God to prove himself. I believe that he already has. But so many people won't come to Christ because they want God to prove himself before they will give his life to him. Instead of seeking him, instead of seeking God, instead of pursuing God, they say, no, what? no I'm not going to take that step until God proves himself to me. Maybe we need to stop seeking God or we need to stop seeking a sign and start seeking God, his plan and our will. Amen? How do we seek God? You seek God. It's not complicated. You seek God by opening up his word. That's the gift of the word, that, that if you want to know more about God, you can begin to open up the word, and you begin. Here's what I would do. This happened to me when I was in my early 20s. I really hit a place, I hit a wall in my life where I really needed to hear from God. It was kind of like I had grown up. Listen, 
I have been a follower of Christ since I can remember. Uh, since, since, I, since I've been awake in my mentality, I have been a follower of Christ. I've been playing the guitar since I can remember. I think I came out of the womb holding the guitar in my hand. That you wouldn't know it by my skill level, but I, I've been playing. The, you know, I, 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 when I was a kid, and I, I would play a toy guitar during praise and worship out in the congregation. I have always, always followed Christ, but in my 20s, I had to come to grips with what this was for me, not just because of my parents, not because I was raised this way. I had to seek God for myself. And I, 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 what I did, I think I was 23 years old when I came to a really hard place in my life. I just began to open up the word, and I, I, got, I got up very early in the morning before my job. I was working somewhere else at that time, and for an hour every single morning, I just said, Lord, show me your way. Lord, show me what you would have me do. And then I began to open up the word. And God, I did not hear an audible voice. I didn't hear this audible voice from heaven say certain things to me. What happened was God began to reveal himself to the word. I want to tell you something. If you want to hear from God, if you want God to speak to you, don't expect an audible voice. I've been doing this a really long time. I don't know if I've ever heard an audible voice you know, I don't. You know, I, I think you know. One time, I thought I heard God's voice on, on a particular thing, but I don't know if I've ever heard the audible, "Hey, Travis." I don't. I don't. I don't know if I want to hear that. You know what I'm saying? Just out in the dark or whatever. I don't know if I ever want to. But I'm saying. But I have been praying about things, and through time, and through reading the Word, and through asking God, and and just asking, seeking. Knocking, asking, seeking, knocking, praying God, just pursuing God with an open heart. God, whatever you want to do. I've seen God reveal himself through the word. Amen? How we seek God. How do we seek God? Through prayer and through the word. Asking for a sign from heaven before you believe God will never come. Lord, if you're real, do this. I can tell you, and I can't speak for God, but most of the time that never happens because that comes from a place of doubt. God, prove yourself and I'll live for you. That comes from a place of doubt. Luke 11 and 29 says, as the crowd pressed in on Jesus, this is a different part of the gospel. It says, he said this. This is what Jesus said. An evil generation keeps asking to show me a sign. Signs, signs everywhere, signs. Blocking up the scenery. That's not even a song. Okay, okay. That, that, it's not even a song about this. Okay. This evil generation keeps asking me to show them a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give them is the sign of Jonah. And I don't have time to go into that, but he's talking about how Jonah went into the belly of a well for three days and then came out. In other words, he would go down into the grave for three days and rise from the dead. But he says, I'm not going to give people that are just running around asking for a sign. If, if God is real, then why doesn't he prove himself? A sign does not come. Show me. Feed my eyes. True faith doesn't look for a sign or ask God to prove himself real by what it sees. True faith seeks to know Jesus through faith, through believing. We walk by faith and not by, that's right. Nobody can please God without faith, Hebrews says. No one, no, it's impossible to please God without faith. And anybody who wants to come to, to Jesus, anybody who wants to come to God must believe he is who he says 
before he comes to God. Nicodemus was searching. Number two, the second reason I believe that Nicodemus got an answer from the Lord is because Nicodemus had questions, and he had the right questions, and he had the right heart behind these questions. There's nothing wrong with, with questions when it comes to the Lord. That's how we solidify our faith. If you've got questions, when it, it, it's okay. I, I was, uh, sometimes we were growing up thinking, we don't question God about anything. There's nothing wrong with questions as long as it comes from the right place. John 3 and 3 through 12 says, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus kind of ignores what, what, what Nicodemus is saying. Nicodemus says, you know, I want to learn more about you. Jesus kind of breaks through that and says, you need to be born again. What do you mean? His first question. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. He's talking about being baptized and being transformed uh, as far as in spirit and in heart. Humans can reproduce other human life. But the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. Listen to, listen to this conversation that Jesus hasn't had with anybody. This private conversation with Nicodemus simply because he opened up his heart and asked Jesus about this. So don't be surprised when I say, Jesus says, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going you can't explain how people are born of spirit. In other words, Nicodemus, there are mysteries of God that, that there were never, that no one will ever be able to explain. Like the wind blows and you don't know where it comes from. There are mysteries of God that, that you will not be able to, that's why it takes faith. The ninth verse says, this is what Nicodemus says, he says, Lord, how are these things possible? The tenth verse, Jesus replied, are you a respected Jewish leader and yet you don't understand these things? I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? So Nicodemus had questions because he sought to understand Christ, not discredit him. That's the key to getting answers from the Lord. There's nothing wrong with having questions, but some people have questions because they want it to feed their doubt, because they want to establish their point of view or their worldview or their belief system. He was different than the other Pharisees. The, the Pharisees were constantly asking leading questions to trap him. They were always, if you read the Gospels, every time the Pharisees approached Jesus, they would ask him questions to trap him so they could uh, arrest him. Nicodemus would ask a very logical question to clarify a very spiritual truth. You know, we all have questions. God is a mystery. And I don't care who you are. I don't care how deep you are in the word of God, how long you've practiced the word of God. If you're a teacher, there are mysteries about God that we simply can't understand. Nicodemus, his questions would lead him to Jesus. A lot of times our questions they will either lead us to Christ or they will lead us from Christ. And that is dependent upon our openness of faith. They should lead us to God. They should not lead us away from God. Some people, their questions lead them away from God. 
Sometimes, and I, and I experience this a lot as a pastor and talking to people about faith over the years, a lot of times people's questions, they do one of two things. They either lead them to God or they lead them away from God. Same questions. Everybody, it seems, always have had the same questions. Questions about suffering in the world. Questions about world hunger. Questions about injustice. Questions about unanswered prayer. Questions about faith in God. Why doesn't God do something about this? And a lot of times when we don't understand, we should seek to understand God. But for many, that's not the case. We don't seek to understand. We don't approach God with faith. Instead, our questions aren't answered. It's kind of like this. Well, I don't understand how this can be true. Therefore, it must not be true. And because I don't understand this and it's not true, well, the Bible must not be true and Christianity must be false. So many people come to that conclusion. Just barely scratch the surface of faith. I have a question. Which do you think is more possible? Which do you think is more accurate? A faith that has the answers to our origin and our destiny. A book that has been compiled that gives the story of our destiny and our origin. That has endured and has proven through fulfilled prophecies and historical documentation and has accurately been preserved over thousands of years through a nation and through a people, through theologians, through historians that's crossed the span of time and has been accurate and has been proven. It is, more like, is it more likely that all of that and all of those millions of people are wrong, or is it more likely that I don't completely understand it? Which is more likely? And yet so many people come to grips with that is all wrong, and I'm right. I was, uh, I was at uh, the local gym here this past week, and I heard a 16-year-old young man announce in the locker room, I was putting my shoes on, said, I am an atheist. And I don't know why he announced that. Just told everybody, in the locker, I I I'm an atheist, and he was so proud of that. And, you know, I fought the urge to say, to debate that, you know what I'm saying? I wanted to, you know, as I was tying my shoe, I was going to say, tell me how you came to grips with it. Tell me how far you've been into studying the, you know, whether or not God is real. Can you tell me? I mean, if you want to really stump somebody that doesn't believe in God or says, if you look up the term atheist, it simply means unbeliever. They don't believe. But, but the truth is, everybody believes something. An atheist has faith that God doesn't exist because nobody can prove that God exists, right? Right? Nobody can prove, nobody can disprove, nobody can really prove. It's, it, uh, you know, it's, it is historical documentation, then, but it comes to a place where it's about 80%, then the rest is faith. But if you really want to stump somebody, just say, hey, you know, tell me how, we got, how, tell me how it all got started. Nobody has that answer. The Bible has that answer, and we choose to believe that. But nobody can say, okay, then tell me, tell me how we got here. The best we got is a theory. Are you with me? The very best that we got is a theory. So here's the deal. Do we ask questions to discredit or do we ask questions to discern God? Do we seek to discredit or do we seek to learn more or to understand do we ask questions for that? God welcomes and rewards our questions to understand, but he rejects our questions to doubt 
to attempt to discredit. Nicodemus had legitimate questions to understand, and that's what leads us to our next point. And last point, Nicodemus was rewarded. What makes him different was he was searching, he had questions, the right questions, and because of that, Nicodemus was rewarded. In John 3 and 13, it says, no one has ever gone to heaven. This is Jesus just, I mean, just rolling out the mysteries of God. He says, no one has ever gone to heaven in return, but the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness that, that references an Old Testament, before you're like, what? That, that's an Old Testament from the book of Numbers. He's just talking about that. That's a, you just have to look that up. Moses lifted up a bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. And then John 3, 16. Have you ever heard of this verse? This was not just a random statement out. This was a private conversation. Jesus said this to Nicodemus in a one-on-one -on -one conversation. He says, for this is how God loved the world. You can say it how you want to. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting or eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does, check this out, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on the fact, on this fact, God's light came into the world that people love the darkness more than light. This is incredible. Jesus is explaining why some people never make it to faith. He says, all who did evil hate the light. And refuse to go near it for, uh, for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. With his humble searching, with his questions to understand, Jesus opens up and speaks and explains the mysteries of God. His eternal plan never before revealed no one has ever heard Jesus speak like this. And then something amazing happens. The, the, the unthinkable happens. Jesus not only spoke to Jesus, Jesus spoke, uh, uh, Jesus not only spoke to Nicodemus, he spoke through him to the church today. And he says this incredible verse that's, that's, that we all know by heart, this verse that is on the back of baseball stadiums. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. Jesus didn't come into the world. God didn't send his son into the world to, to, to condemn the world, but to save the world. He speaks through Nicodemus. Those who seek to know and understand Jesus will find him. That's what I want to leave you with today. That if you seek to know and understand and bring your questions to him from a place of, I want to know more. I want to understand. Show me the mysteries. Show me the mysteries of my life. If you will do that, he will reveal himself to you. He will reveal mysteries about himself to you that you can never understand. He rewards those who truly seek him with faith. Hebrews 11 and 6, I love this verse. It is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists. The first step is with you. The first step is belief must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely, sincerely, not critically, sincerely seek him. With knowledge, he rewards us. He rewards us with, with answered questions, with hope, and with life. Your search for Christ leads to rewards from Christ. Amen? I want to close with this. So what happens with Nicodemus? 
There's this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. This, this conversation opens up and plants a seed in his heart. And it, it leads to a, a spiritual transformation. John 7 and 20, we see a couple more times in Scripture. In John 7 and 20, Nicodemus, he speaks up with Jesus. Or he speaks up for Jesus at Jesus' trial. There's this trial in the Sanhedrin court. And they're all, they're, they're trying to arrest Jesus. They're trying to figure out a way to, to get him crucified. And Nicodemus stands up and he says, are we going to have a trial? Uh, are we going to crucify a man? Are we going to kill a man without giving him a fair trial? And they hush him. They quiet him. After Jesus' death on the cross, Nicodemus was willing to openly identify with himself with, with the Lord. In John 19 and 39, it says that he was one of the people that brought spices. In fact, what we believe is he paid for all the, the burial arrangement, spices and flowers and all that. And it was so much, history tells us it was so much, it was like a royal burial. Which, if you think about it, this is significant because this proves that Jesus was dead. Nobody would have bought spices and flowers and arrangements and, and, had, and had burial situations like this for somebody that wasn't dead because there are people that say, well, he wasn't really dead. And with that, it gives the validity of, of Jesus was actually dead and then he rose from the dead. Jesus did that or God did that through his sovereignty. And then Nicodemus disappears from the scripture. However, we have other resources and you got to be careful about using other resources from the Bible, but there's actually a gospel of, of Nicodemus and there are other apocryphal works that, that state what happens to him some historians believe that Nicodemus got saved before Jesus went to the cross and he was baptized by the apostle Peter and John he would eventually lose his position as a Pharisee get kicked off the council and would eventually be banished from Jerusalem don't think that don't ever believe that following Christ won't cost you something probably the thing that he would dread the most is losing his position but that's probably what happened but here's the deal whatever happened to Nicodemus once he met Jesus that night he was never the same again and it led him to a place that he would when he made this huge decision no matter what happens when you meet Jesus your life is never the same I want to ask you one more time in closing have you met Jesus have you met him and has he, is he Lord of your life? I mean, really met him. Think about that as we pray today. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for speaking to us today and, and thank you for your word. And I pray, Lord, that if there's anybody here that has not had a conversation of the heart with you, that they will surrender their lives to you in the name of Jesus. As your heads are bowed, I want to talk to people that that follow Christ. Maybe you're here, you know Christ. He's Lord and Savior of your heart. You have, you have given him your life. But you might feel like there's no transformation. You might feel like that that has not led to where he wants to take you. I like Nicodemus' story because there were some logistics involved. He didn't just see a miracle and believe. He saw a miracle and he had questions. And that was okay because they were the right questions and they come from the right place. Maybe you're here and, and you believe in the Lord and, 
Maybe you've even given your heart, but you've got questions. There are things that are happening in your life. There are things that are happening in the world, and you've got questions. I want to tell you something. That's okay, but let your questions push you to God and not away from him. Don't let your questions don't let the things that go wrong in your life, don't let the things that, that you see or that are happening in the world, don't let that push you away from the Lord. Let that bring you closer to him. So I want to pray with you right now if that's what's going on in your life. If you're sitting next to somebody that you love or you're close to, take that person by the hand. We'll pray for each other right now. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that wherever we are in our walk with you, whether or not we have questions, Lord, you have answers. So I pray, Lord, that the questions that we have, the things that we go through, the things that we might be suffering, that draws us closer to you, Lord. Don't let our differences, don't, don't let it affect our faith in such a way that it pushes away from you and not to you. In the name of Jesus, speak to people today. Solidify our faith. In the name of Jesus, if you believe that, say amen. If you'll continue to bow your heads, I want to pray one more prayer. Maybe you're here and you don't know Jesus. It might be just us here today. But if you're here and you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, or maybe you're watching this online, and the Lord has spoken to you today. Maybe you haven't come to Christ because you've had questions that, that, that weren't answered. But you feel like the Lord is speaking, the Holy Spirit's drawing you today. Or maybe you're sitting in the house today and you feel like the Lord is drawing you. I'd like to know if that's you. And today I want to pray with you. And today you can come home, you can give your life to Christ. I'm about to say a prayer, but before I do, I'd like to know if I'm praying for anybody. Understand I'm not going to ask you to stand. I'm not going to ask you to walk the aisles. I'm not going to ask you to do anything that, that, that would single you out in any way. I just want to know if there's anybody here that you're going to come home and you're going to give your life to Christ. So just between you, me, and God, you can say, Travis, if you'll say that prayer, I'm going to pray it with you, and I'm going to give my life to Christ. Quickly, just put your hand up and put it down so I know I'm praying for somebody. Can anybody say that? I see your hand in the back over there on the right. You can put it down. Anybody else? Anybody else? That's me, Travis. If you're watching this online, Say, Travis, I'm going to say that prayer with you right now, and I'm going to give my life to Christ. Do that right now with us as we pray. Let's all pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I am before you today, and I give you my life. And Jesus, I ask you to be Lord and Savior of my life. I confess my sins, and I ask you to forgive me for all of my sins. And I make you Lord and Savior of my life. I believe in you, Jesus, that you died for me and rose from the dead. And from this moment on, my life is committed to you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Come on, guys. Let's celebrate those that have given their lives, that have come home.